Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Back to this week's edition of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Orange 24 7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Nick Harris. And we're back after uh, a couple weeks off. It's been um, it's been a little bit, and uh, we're definitely going to get into that. Um, you know, we uh, we had some things come up during the summer. We had vacations and all sorts of things. And I think I'd planned maybe to come back um, last week and do something. But uh, for those who don't know, I don't know if I've shared it on the board. My wife fell while we were in uh, Mexico and broke her ankle, so it's been a it's been a, a busy couple weeks since we got back. So uh, we are back. We wanted to make sure we were there for the season. Uh, Nick, how's it going? It's going good. I uh, can't complain. Ready for the season to get back up and going. And uh, you know, we're less than or a little bit more than twenty four hours away from heading out to our first games of the year. Or uh, for my first game of the year, you you got a head start off on me out in California last week, but uh, definitely ready to get going. And we're certainly going to talk about that. We're certainly going to talk about what games are going to this week. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. And uh, let's start with where Texas is on the commitment trail at 17 commits in the class and three of them since we last recorded. Uh, I think we recorded Nick leading up to the, uh, the pool party. Is that correct? Probably the last yeah. time we recorded. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so that was on a Friday, the Saturday, um, you know, Derek Brown made his commitment. The Texarkana, Texas high edge rusher uh, is a guy that has been, um, you know, a guy, somebody that I think has been moving back and forth between a couple of different schools. But Texas has kind of always been in that mix and, and really solidified themselves in, in June and July after his official visit. Um, as far as what Derek Brown brings to the table, uh, really one of the better pure edge rushers in the state of Texas this year. Long, lean, can come off the edge with a lot of explosive ability. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I think a type that Texas has really needed for years, just that pure pass rusher who can get after the quarterback. Um, he's played a couple of different positions, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, but I really think he's best uh, at chasing quarterbacks on the edge. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is a this is a good head-to-head win over Baylor because going into the, the visit season, Baylor probably had the edge in this recruitment. And, you know, kind of looking at the landscape of college football, that might surprise some people that Baylor is able to, you know, win recruitments over schools, you know, maybe like Texas and uh, Michigan and others. But they're, they're able to pitch early playing time to, to linebackers right now. And Dave Aranda has really been able to push 
um, is selling linebackers and he's been able to develop linebackers throughout most of his career at LSU and past destinations. So that makes Baylor a, a really attractive spot for defensive players, and especially a player like Derek Brown. So for Texas to get him in on his official visit uh, early on in June, um, you know, prove that they can get him on the field uh, early as possible as well. And uh, him, him talking to coach Kwiatkowski and, and building that relationship there. Um, I, I think uh, it was definitely a big time win. And that's a, that's a kid that they definitely want to have in the class uh, that puts them back on the map in Texarkana after going, striking out a couple of years at schools like Pleasant Grove and Texas High. So, um, you know, this is a big time commitment for multiple reasons. And um, he's already been super vocal early on in his commitment and, uh, you know, trying to get other guys on board. It seems like every day I see him throwing the Longhorn emoji to other targets on, on Twitter. So um, he's definitely going to be an important part of the class moving forward. Yeah, I think, you know, if you want to go back and look at really the timeline of Derrick Brown's recruitment, I think early on, a lot of people expected Oklahoma or A&M to kind of be the final destination there. Oklahoma, I think, probably wanted to see how a couple of other options. So they pushed his visit late. And I think that that hurt him with him wanting to decide in the summer. You know, Texas A&M, he canceled that visit right at the beginning, right after his Texas visit. And there's a lot of, you know, back and forth as to why. Um, and I, I know what I've heard on it and that stuff will probably come out in the behind the scenes after the cycle. But, um, I think A&M, you know, I think at, at this point people will say they didn't want him. I think if you go back to the first of June, I can, I, I've got a lot of evidence to the contrary there. So, uh, Texas really emerged after that first visit weekend. And, you know, I, there were a lot of people that thought he was kind of going to shut it down then, but he kept taking his visits and to their credit, Baylor did a really good job recruiting him. Um, they were one of the first schools to offer him. He did feel some loyalty there, and there was a point in time where it looked like he was going to go ahead and pick Baylor. Uh, Texas getting him back onto campus for the pool party right before his decision, I think, changed things a little bit. Um, and, and I've always said that Derek's been, you know, he's a little bit of an impressionable kid. So getting the last shot with him is, is usually better than, than getting him first. And, you know, credit to, to Texas and, and the work they put in. I can, um, I can recall uh, – uh, a funny story, uh, Nick, you were not with me at coaching school. I'm trying to think of where you were. I think you may have been with the Texan live guys this night, but it was the night we went to Pinkerton's. Um, and then, uh, and then I went over to the other coaches social, um, and, um, walked in and just, uh, somebody at Texas had, had, or somebody had told me that the Texas coaches had heard that Jerry Stanford, the head coach from Texas high was over at, at, uh, Pinkertons and they were headed over there to talk to him. So, you know, they really hammered it home. Props to Pete Kwiatkowski and Jeff Choate. And I think Chris Gilbert even got involved in that one just because he knows the high school coach so well. So um, I think it was a great job for Texas getting him. Um, the, the next guy in that line to commit uh, was Owen Carey. And, and a guy we told you about coming in from modern day. Um, and he was kind of, I wouldn't say a contingency plan for Texas. I would say that Owen Carey was probably on his way to earning an offer anyways. I think the staff really liked uh, his measurables, some testing numbers that he had put up, and the fact that when he had stepped up to competition at modern day, he had played really well. So, um, you know, I think that they were they wanted to be loyal to a guy like Jeremy Patton, who was in-state and a guy who they've been recruiting for a while. But when they figured out Jeremy Patton was going to end up at Baylor, they made the move on Owen Carey pretty quickly and it being Owen's kind of dream school, it worked out for Texas. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian obviously has a lot of ties in the West coast and, but he has family ties at modern day. And after striking out on, you know, CJ Williams, I think it's a big time uh, 
commitment to be able to get Owen Carey in this class. And, you know, this is a kid who, who really shined during the six game spring season for modern day and, and put himself on the map and picked up some big time offers. And Texas brought him on campus right before the pool party had him in for two or three days, I believe, just to kind of, you know, look at him in person and, and see how he is. And if you go back and you read our article that uh, Greg Biggins did right after he landed the offer, um, you can just tell it was, it, it was a match made in heaven for the both of them and that a commitment was probably going to be coming pretty soon. And it came about three or four days after that. Um, so it, they got him on campus, liked what they saw from him as a player and as a human. And, um, you know, this, this, uh, for his senior season this fall, you know, he, he's definitely due for a rise if he, if he keeps his potential up uh, like he did in his junior year. Um, and I'll, I'll be curious to see, you know, how we all view him in December. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably a really fair assessment. I think the film looks good. The, like I said, the testing numbers were there. So let's see what he looks like with his other year. And I'll get to see him this week. We'll go into a little more of that later. While I was on vacation, and it's, you know, if, you, if you're on the Horns 24-7 message board, you know that, that if Mike is on vacation, it's a certainty that Texas is getting commitments. And uh, I believe Kerry popped like day one or two while I was in Mexico. And then right after that, Ronald Lewis, Nick, you, you were kind of ran that one because Texas made a move once they knew where Bryce Anderson was headed and, and moved on to their secondary plan, which seemed to be Ronald Lewis uh, from Ed, uh, not from Ed Nakar. He'll probably kill me if he hears that from Warren Easton in, in uh, New Orleans. Um, Nick, you, you ran that show because uh, he, the kid didn't even have an offer when I left the country. So uh, tell us how it all played out. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it was on Monday, uh, Monday or Tuesday, when the Texas staff pretty much figured out that they weren't going to win in the end with Bryce Anderson on um, Tuesday night or Wednesday night. I, I'm losing track of the timeline. They went ahead and offered two 2022 corners, uh, one being Ronald Lewis from uh, Warren Easton in New Orleans, and the other being uh, Ronald Johnson from um, Gadsden City in Alabama. And, uh, you know, things really moved quickly with, with Ronald Lewis. When, whenever he was offered, he was a Colorado commit. Um, he had committed right after his official visit to Colorado at the beginning of June. So he was a fresh Colorado commit. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a pretty respectable program to be able to just pull a, a commitment from them, you know, right under their feet. That's, that's a pretty tall task. So, but they were able to do it. Um, this is a program that Ronald uh, definitely respected growing up. Um, and, and when he landed that offer, uh, he was like, this is my first big time blue blood offer. I want to be sure to capitalize on it. And within 24 hours, he, he flipped his commitment and um, uh, committed to the Texas class. And, uh, you know, this is another kid who had a really big junior season. Uh, he had eight interceptions for Warren Easton last year, led the team and led the New Orleans area in interceptions. Um, he was also able to play uh, side by side with uh, 2021 enrollee Casey Kane, uh, the wide receiver out of Warren Easton. So there's a little bit of Texas connections there. And Warren Easton is just one of three high schools that has um, uh, two Texas commit or multiple Texas commits in the past two cycles, joining Arlington Martin and Denton Ryan. So, um, you know, that's definitely becoming a kind of a pipeline for Texas moving forward, and especially with Terry Joseph on staff, uh, not only being able to, you know, appeal to him as a New Orleans native, but also as the quarterbacks coach and the passing game coordinator. Everything just kind of worked out where they, they were able to, you know, shut the door on Ronald Lewis and bring him on in the class. So, um, we'll see, uh, you know, how that uh, ends up, uh, that decision ends up being, you know, as the senior season uh, goes along and obviously how he develops once he gets on campus. But uh, from the early returns, it looks like that, uh, you know, this is a solid developmental project and we'll kind of see how it goes from here. Yeah, so I did reach out to some people while I was on vacation just to kind of get an idea of, of how this played out and was told that Ronald came in and camped um, early in June 
was really had a really strong camp performance and was a guy that they had basically circled and said, look, we're we really like this guy. We're going to offer, but we've got to figure out what our numbers look like. And as soon as we've got an option down, we're going to go in on to him. And, and you, you saw how they moved quickly. I think if you watch his film, there is a really, really high ceiling there. You know, he, he, he does get his hands on the ball. He does react quickly. Uh, he does have some intriguing track numbers. I don't quite get how hurdles translates to the field as much as outright sprinters, but um, you know, he does have some, some hurdle numbers there. So I think when you look at him, he's a guy that they feel can play anything from safety to corner to nickel um, and, and a guy that they could throw a lot of things at and he could probably pick them up. I'm excited to see him this year. I'm going to try to roll that into a trip to new Orleans uh, to see Arch Manning. I'm going to, I think I'm going to be able to, to, to get to both. Um, so really excited to see him on the field and just get a feel for what type of athlete he is. Because like I said, I, I, uh, to be honest with you, I left the country one day, not knowing Ronald Lewis exists and, uh, came back and he's, he's in the Texas class. So it was, a uh, it was a quick catch up, uh, there, uh, Nick, anything else pressing that, that happened while, uh, while we were away? No, nothing too crazy. Uh, I did want to add that I'll be seeing Ronald Lewis week four in Baton Rouge. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Going to make a little Louisiana trip in week four. So uh, looking forward to seeing him and some other Louisiana targets. All right. Um, let's move on to talk about the high school season. And if you were on Twitter, you saw me wage war with Frisco ISD uh, this week. And um, I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to clarify some things. Um, so last week when I got back, I did go out to Frisco Liberty High School and see a practice for Evan Stewart. And um, I've gotten some feedback from the district that I am being disingenuous in my criticism of them. Um, and so let me just kind of start from the beginning and map out the way everything kind of played out. We'll talk about where things stand. Um, Frisco ISD does have a uh, basically a media liaison, Matt Wixon, who used to be a writer for the Morning News, is a guy we were all in press boxes with. Forever. Matt is phenomenal at his job. He was a phenomenal writer when he covered high school football for the morning news. And he's a guy that I think a lot of, I think he's a very friendly guy um, and, and a very nice guy. And I enjoy working with him when I do. I've probably bruised that relationship a little bit this week, but um, when I was out there and just to pull back the curtain a little bit, the procedure for me to go to a Frisco ISD practice is that I have to call Matt I have to work it out with the coach when I can come out there like I would normally. And then Matt has to come out and monitor any contact I have with Frisco ISD athletes. Um, and I'm not allowed to talk to anybody before he gets there. And I've got basically a 30 minute window to make it all work. And to his credit, Matt set it up. He came out there, passed his work time. He did all those things to help me get some stuff with Evan. Um, you know, last week, uh, an interview and some pictures, new updates and all that stuff. So um, if they feel they were th th that I was disingenuous in my criticism of them, it's because w while there I was kind of discussing the season protocols with Matt and what Frisco would be a dick. You can kind of echo this. Frisco ISD has always been a little bit difficult to deal with. You know, they've always had a lot of hoops for us to jump through just getting into their games. And, um, you know, while I, while I don't think that's changed, um, you know, or I don't think that always prevented us. I think we would jump through those hoops. They Matt told me this year that they're basically not going to issue sideline passes to anybody who's quote unquote recruiting media. Being um, you know a longtime member of the the high school football press corps here, I decided it was kind of my responsibility to speak out on it um, because undoubtedly we are going to get questions from parents and kids about why don't we cover Frisco high schools and uh, 
you know, Frisco is one of the bigger districts in our area, Nick. It's 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 a big feeder for both you, both you and I. Two major Texas targets within that district right now uh, with Cole Hudson and Evan Stewart. And we want to cover those kids. We want to cover all the kids there. And so, you know, I just kind of made it known, hey, they don't they don't want us there. So we're not going to be there. And I, I'm not ever going to go anywhere where I'm not wanted. That's it's not I'm not going to fight and push and claw to get into some place that doesn't want me to be there. So um, I kind of made it known in a, in a long thread on Twitter and it, it picked up some attention. It got moved around and uh, retweeted a lot and uh, didn't hear anything back from Frisco for a while. And then um, from somebody there today reached out and again, expressed that they felt I was disingenuous considering I had just been out there. So yes, I do appreciate them setting up uh, a visit for us to practice. And I told them that that day, but I also think if, if you make people jump through those types of hoops, it's usually for the, for the purpose of making it as difficult as possible so that the people don't want to do it. And if things are difficult, we will usually go other places. You know what I'm saying? Like, Nick, can you can attest to this. If the credentialing process becomes too laborious, we'll just pick another place to go. There's lots of places for us to go. And I think that that's kind of where the message got misconstrued by a couple of people. Like, I'm begging to get into Frisco. I got millions of options every Friday night. I don't need to go to Frisco. And I don't have to go to Frisco to get Cole Hudson or Evan Stewart on the phone. Those are probably two of the guys in this class I'm closest with. So it's not that I'm, I'm losing content or anything from it. I, it's for me, from a, from a pure coverage perspective, I want people to know that a, I don't appreciate us being uh, set aside as recruiting media. Like it's something dirty. I mean, we do our jobs professionally. We do, we do our jobs well, and we've done a lot of good to help kids. And, um, and, and B like I, when people ask us, you know, why aren't you covering our kids or why aren't you covering these schools? I wanted it out there. I wanted it known. So um, that's kind of where things are at with Frisco ISD. I was told today, get over it. It's not going to change. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. And uh, weirdly enough, I'll be at Frisco uh, at the star in Frisco this Saturday in a game that's not credentialed by Frisco ISD. Um, so I can get in, in those kind of situations, but um, you know, for me, I, I just think it's something that we've kind of, we dealt with Garland for a while where Garland wouldn't let people in and, and they've kind of changed that. We've dealt with other places that have been difficult for me. It's like, okay, if you want to make these policies and you're going to put them publicly on somewhere, we're going to shine the light on them and let people talk about them. And Frisco parents can decide if that's an issue they want to bring up with their school board or their administrators or any of that information. I'm not leading a riot here. I'm publicly discussing information that is publicly available. That's, that's kind of where we are. So um, just a little clean up there. If you, if you read that, uh, this week, that's kind of, uh, where things are there. Any, uh, any thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, I just don't get the attack on, on recruiting media. And I, I really don't even understand the attack on media at certain times in the Texas high school football world, just because while there are a lot of people who, um, you know, maybe, uh, take, take advantage of, uh, the fact that they can get a sideline pass and go to a game for free. There are many people like you and I, Mike, who, uh, you know, this is our job. This is how we put food on the table, pay rent, pay, you know, pay utilities, all that kind of stuff. So it, when it makes our job more difficult, um, that I, I kind of have a problem with that. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely, you know, echo those same feelings that you have with, with Frisco ISD and, uh, you know, some of the other school districts that make it more difficult. I just kind of wish they would give us, you know, maybe an open forum to kind of talk about those things, uh, you know, face to face with the people who do make those rules and maybe we can find a, you know, a common middle ground, but, 
doesn't sound like that'll happen this year, but maybe, maybe more so in the future. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would love, and I told them this at the time, I would love to get in front of whoever makes that decision and at least just be able to plead our case a little bit. And, and basically what was explained to me was, look, there's a lot of guys who just because they have a camera, they make these hype videos and stuff that they get access to the sideline. And Frisco's focus was let's thin the sidelines and get those guys out of here. Fine. Nick, you know, I'm in favor of thinner sidelines and, and less crowded things of that nature. But their solution is instead of just figuring out who's good and who's not, let's throw them all out of here. And I just that to me, especially when you have a guy like Matt Wixon who serves in a role where he could do vetting of who needs to be in and who doesn't. That's a lazy solution to me. And so, um, you know, I, it's hard to have much fear of repercussions when they're already not letting us in. Maybe this means they never will or maybe you know, one day they will open the gates and, and I'll catch a ban just for, for, for bringing the subject up. But um, regardless of the case, I think that um, it's something that needs to be talked about. It's uh, it's our opinion and it's uh, something that we could talk about in a public forum like Twitter. So that's where things are with that. Um, we are going to jump in to high school coverage here in a minute. Uh, but first we have Nick, we have the return of the mailbag. We hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the state of recruiting. We'll be back with the second half after a word from our sponsors. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I uh, I know there's a lot of people that uh, that wanted to get things questions in over the last couple of weeks. So here we are with them and uh, we'll go to the Horns 24-7 message board. As a reminder, we'll put that thread up about an hour outside of every podcast Anybody can listen to this podcast, but you, you've basically got to be on the message board for us to uh, to read your question in the mailbag. So subscribe over at Horns 24-7. Um, all right. Our first question, uh, actually our first two questions uh, from uh, HornsFan7612 and TGV777. Who could be the first 2023 commit for Texas? Um, that's a good question. You know, I thought that that guy could be JV and Taviano. Um, and I think that he's kind of trended more towards Oklahoma recently. We thought maybe DJ Hicks could be a guy that would pull off in the early commit, but you know, his recruitment has blown up so nationally that it, it looks like he's going to take some time. I'm trying to think maybe Vernon Glover, I guess would probably be a name that I could tell you that he outright has Texas as his leader at the moment. I think if Texas pushed for a commitment, Vernon Glover could be that first guy. 
Yeah, I, I like the Vernon Glover pick. Um, someone also to kind of monitor as far as, you know, someone who uh, Texas done a really good job with early on is Ryan Yates, um, defensive back out of Denton Geyer. I'm not really sure if his timeline and if he'll pop early, but, you know, if, if he did, I think Texas would be in a pretty good spot along with uh, Notre Dame. So, uh, you know, those are two schools that have been kind of standing out for him. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of just a couple of others. Um, I've got one, and I want to be very careful how I say this because I don't, <laughs> I don't want it to come off like I'm telling you this is going to happen. But <laughs> I was going to do that, but you go ahead. I already know where you're going with this. <laughs> if he does it, I could. If, if he picks Texas, I could see Arch Manning wanting to take the plunge and be the guy to lead the class. He's that type of guy. That's the impression I got from meeting him, and so. Um, I'm mean, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen anytime soon. I'm saying that if he did, if he wants to commit to Texas, I could see him being the first guy in that class. I agree. Um, all right. Our next question, um, from take it to the banks, any ideas on potential visitors for the game versus Louisiana? That is something we're gathering at the moment. Uh, one guy I know who is slated to be there is Andre Kojo from Mansfield, uh, Timberview. Um, and then, um, anybody else, Nick, you've heard of, I've got a list somewhere on my phone and I'm just stalling for time here. Uh, Vernon Glover, I think is going to be there. And, uh, I've heard Denver Harris could make the trip, but not, not for sure. Um, the only recruit that had told me that he was going to be at the, uh, the game against Louisiana was Bryce Anderson, but that was well before he committed to A&M. So, um, probably not going to happen anymore, but I, I haven't heard anything about other potential visitors. All right. Sounds good. Um, let's move on. Uh, from a King 80 uh, in the three cone drill, what times are considered good and what times are considered to be elite uh, times for O-line, D-line, skill positions, et cetera. I've got this somewhere. I've got like kind of a scale of what's considered to be strong there. And that's probably a good time. A good, good idea for an article at some point. Um, I think if it, it obviously it, um, it depends on the position and it depends on the level, right? It depends on like high schools, obviously it'd be different. Um, just looking at kind of like some combine information here. If you're anywhere in the low sevens, um, like if you're an outside linebacker or a defensive end and you're running like seven, one or seven, two cone drill and the defensive linemen are more looked at as like mid sevens, uh, you know, seven, five, seven, six. So those are, what they look at at the, at the NFL level, at least as good three cone drill times. Um, Nick, you want to add anything there? No, that's all you. <laughs> you gave me a shake of the head. So I, I didn't want to just blow you off. Like uh, I'm not going to let you talk, but I figured you were. No, you got you that. <laughs> um, is the buzz uh, from our, uh, is it R-I-I-S Lewis? Uh, is the buzz around Texas chances with Omari Abor real? No, I mean, look, I think I've been, um, I've been really honest in that I think that Texas has been just about dead in that recruitment, but getting him on campus gave him a little bit of life. And so it's just going to be about getting him back and, and seeing if they can get a hold of that fifth official visit for him um, and, and, and just taking their time and, and continuing with the process. I wouldn't buy any significant buzz with Amaria Bohr at this point um, outside of maybe Ohio state or, or Alabama maybe LSU, I guess. But, um, you know, for me, I think that, that Texas still has a lot of work to do there. Yeah, I think best case scenario, Texas is probably fourth or fifth in that race. And there's quite a bit of, uh, 
a gap between that top three that you mentioned of Ohio State, Alabama, and um, uh, LSU. So, um, yeah, I, getting him back on campus will be crucial. Well, we'll see after that uh, and then move forward from there. Uh, he also asked, and Nick, you can kind of address this, Texas had some momentum in June with Harold Perkins. Has that ship sailed? Um, no, I don't believe so. Um, a couple of things that I, I think will be important in Harold Perkins' recruitment is uh, proving it on the field this year. Um, and then second, how quick the move to the SEC becomes. Um, it's starting to become much more clear that he wants to play in the SEC. And um, for, uh, for, for Texas to win this recruitment, I think they would probably have to get in the SEC by 22 or 23 and have that be determined uh, before he signs. So uh, getting him back on campus um, this fall would kind of show me that, you know, Perkins is still pretty interested um, and he's set to release a top schools list here in the next couple of weeks. And I expect Texas to be within that mix. I believe it's going to be a top five. So um, we'll see after that. But, you know, Texas A&M is by far the, the leader in this recruitment at this point. Um, it's going to be tough to knock them down, but there's a long time until he, he commits on January 7th. All right. Um, from Green 89, what's the current feeling on Campbell, Harris and Stewart? I still feel really good with things staying with Devon Campbell. Um, I think with Denver Harris, it's anybody's guess. I think that Texas, it, it depends on kind of who you talk to there because Denver Harris doesn't talk and we spend a lot of time on sourced information with him. It's a little bit different, you know, based on who we talk to and, and, you know, we hope to have the best sources there. So I think, I think Texas and Alabama is what it looks like, but I've heard LSU feels pretty confident about where they stand as well. So um, you know, I think that that all kind of can come into play. And then Evan Stewart, I would say if Texas performs this year, they can close the deal with Evan Stewart. Yeah, with Devon Campbell, um, Texas is in a really good spot. Uh, it, it would take, uh, I think it would take, you know, quite a bit for, you know, another school to come over and take Texas's spot as the leader. Oklahoma is obviously right there as a, as a contender, and he has a pretty solid relationship with their offensive line coach, Bill uh, Beatonball. Um, so, you know, OU is definitely a school to monitor in that recruitment. Um, with Denver Harris, it, Alabama, I feel, is the leader in the, at this point. Um, you know, it, it, he's been talking that he's going to be releasing a top two here pretty soon. I would expect Texas to be alongside Alabama right there. Um, and, you know, there's still, you know, a little bit of time left in that recruitment. So we'll, we'll see how that is moving forward. And uh, with Evan Stewart, um, Texas obviously still in a really good spot. Florida is going to be in that mix, Alabama, LSU. I don't really think there's much separation between those four, and we'll kind of see that separation as the season plays out. He's a guy that I think is going to want to see on-field performance and uh, especially performance in the wide receiving core. So uh, we'll be able to see from there. From Steve Bowling, 15, uh, he says, Evan Stewart is, is obviously the best wide receiver in the class. Which wide receiver from a previous class is he most comparable to? Um, man, I've always said, and I told somebody, I did a Texas football today, uh, with Greg Powers talking recruiting with him and he kind of asked me about Evan and I told him you know Nick you can attest to this back early on I was making some wild statements about Evan that I think people were looking at me sideways about um, and I'm really glad he's backed it up and and proven me kind of right on him early early on in his recruitment I told somebody I think he's Garrett Wilson with more speed um, you know I think that he's really got uh, er everything you want in a wide receiver but really if you're making comparisons, I haven't seen a whole lot of guys like him. Um, I think he's, he's kind of a, uh, unique in that way. So um, he's the one I would always mention there. 
How would you feel about him being comparable to Jalen Waddle? Just because he has the he has that speed, he has that breakaway tendency. Um, route running is obviously elite. He can play inside or out. I think that kind of speaks to Jalen Waddle a little bit too. Yeah, Waddle I think was more. I mean, I could see it. Yeah, um, I think if you're looking at Alabama receivers, he's more Devonte Smith than he was Jalen Waddle. Um, but yeah, Waddle, I, I would say from a, just a pure dominant standpoint and a, and a wow factor standpoint, he's, he's that guy. Um, all right. What, uh, let's see, what does Sark have to show? Uh, this is from Waterboy. What does Sark have to show with QB one this season in order to get Arch Manning to jump in the boat? Man, I think Texas is just in a really good spot there. I think as long as they don't look incredibly inept on offense, um, they are, I think they're in position to get him. And I think, you know, with him, maybe even showing that they do have some, like, uh, you know, everybody wants – I guess everybody probably wants Hudson Card to nail that thing down and run with it, right? But, um, you know, I think Arch does probably want to play early. So, um, that could come into play, although, I mean, he is a 23. So, you know, if Hudson has a big year this year, big year next year, and then, you know, Arch could either come in – right away and compete or, or maybe he's competing and, and, you know, the last year Hudson's there. So I, I don't know if there's anything, uh, you know, people ask us this week after week, I don't know if there's like a benchmark. I can't tell you that he's got through for 30,000 yards and so many touchdowns and this, you know, it's just, they've got to basically show that they can, that they've got an offense that's functional. I think Sarkeesian just needs to show that, you know, his quarterback developing skills are going to translate at the university of Texas um, he's obviously had, you know, quite a bit of quite a nice resume of quarterbacks in his career. And, you know, most recently at Alabama with Tua Tagovailoa and, and Matt Jones, um, you know, that was a school, if you kind of remember for the last two decades, hasn't really been known for producing quarterbacks. So to be able to, you know, get, a, get to Alabama, produce two first round picks. Now we'll see what he can do at Texas, you know, um, with either guy that he goes with, uh, a guy that has not started, uh, has not been a full-time starter in, in his career. Um, so how can he develop that guy, you know, make him into an elite college football quarterback? And if he can kind of show that he's on the trajectory of doing that this season, then, you know, I think that just puts uh, Texas in a better position with Arch because obviously him and the family are going to want to be developed, you know, to the, to the best of their potential. And Sarkeesian is definitely one of those guys in college football that you want to point to. Um, from HD forever, can you summarize any significant differences between Tom Herman's recruiting strategy versus Sark and his staff? We don't, we still don't have a big enough sample size right away to say that, but I'll give you one big one. Last year when Texas was missing on guys, I felt like it took them too long to understand they were going to miss on a guy. And then their process for kind of finding the number two or the contingency plan, the Ronald Lewis's of the world was almost felt like throwing darts at a board. And, um, you know, I think this year we've seen it. Texas has obviously you don't ever want to have to go to your contingencies. You want your first guys, but I think Texas has done a great job of evaluating those guys, being ready to pull the trigger on them when they can, and then going forward. Are we answering the question by HD Forever right here? Yeah, uh, from Hook'em 361. Uh, or no, yeah, HD Forever, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, you know, yeah, the biggest, um, the biggest differences I've seen at least from, you know, the class of 21 to the class of 22, and even talking more about the class of 23 – is they're getting in on guys that they need to get on, get in on early on. I think there's probably only one or two guys that I could point to in the 23 class that, you know, Texas probably got in a little too late and it kind of cost them early on. Um, and if you remember back in the Herman era, that, that kind of seemed to be a regular, you know, thing that happened. Um, 
Uh, that being said, you know, I, I think uh, offensive line recruiting is obviously, you know, tenfold um, what it was uh, under uh, Herman's staff as well. Um, I think that's a, definitely a big, big difference. Um, I think uh, something that's pretty similar is uh, getting in on, you know, elite defensive recruits and getting them on campus, getting them in the class. You know, I think that's something that the Herman staff did really well. And uh, hopefully uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Kwiatkowski is going to be able to, you know, maintain future classes. All right. Um, from Triplet Joseph 44, what is the best of worst case scenario for this class? I think best case scenario is probably a top six or seven class. And that's if they close out with, you know, Campbell, Stewart, uh, Denver, maybe Brennan Thompson. I think that they can move into a top six, top five, even maybe area class. Uh, worst case scenario is probably slightly better than they did last year. I think that they're still their bottom end is is still better than what they were getting last year on their top end kind of. Uh, but maybe you're looking between 11 and 15 or 16. Yeah, best case, uh, I like that six or seven range. Um, you know, being able to grab two or three five stars, put them in the class, especially, especially guys that are in state, um, and maybe even finding a surprise commit, uh, you know, somewhere in the mix there, whether it be from, you know, Lander Barton out in Utah or, or someone else that maybe takes a, a surprise official visit this uh this fall. And, and also don't forget about Larry Turner Gooden. You know, that's a, at this point, that is someone that I expect to be in the class. Um, uh, at some point, you know, they're going to compete with Penn state and obviously he's still committed to Arizona state. So uh, that's obviously one to keep a, keep an eye on if you're looking for best scenario terms, uh, worst scenario, you know, they strike out on guys that, you know, they're right there in the mix for, and, you know, that's kind of been kind of the, uh, the trend in this recruiting class is they're getting in the top three, four and five with these elite recruits, but they can't really, you know, close on these guys. Um, so, you know, if they, if it continues to be the trend and they probably only land one five-star in the class, then, you know, that's probably the worst case scenario and they end up around the 15 range as far as uh, class ranking. So uh, we'll see how it shakes out moving forward. Um, all right. And uh, that's going to do it. Oh, I, one more I missed here. Hook them through 61. What is something you would like to see the staff improve on recruiting? And can you give a little more information into the new NIL agreement with the university? Um, recruiting wise, it's hard to say like, Hey, they got to close better, but they do got to close better. Um, there's been a lot of recruitments they've been out in front of. And again, it's a very small sample size. I hate to make snap judgments in the middle of a first cycle. Let me get a look at everything at the end of the year. And I can tell you kind of where I think they did were went wrong. But if you had to pick something right now, I, and they're just not closing like they need to on guys. Um, and then uh, the NIL agreement is basically it's a deal with Brander to license the uh, University of Texas uh, intellectual property, the logos, the colors, all those sorts of things, so that players can use their have their gear sold in a in a team store. Uh, they can have their jerseys up and they get proceeds from that. Um, so I think it, it you know uh, Ohio State and North Carolina are the other two schools that have done it. So Texas is kind of out in front in that one, and it's kind of the first major. Um, it's kind of the first major step they've had in the NIL world. Uh, I'm not going to touch on NIL. Mike, Mike kind of did a good job there, uh, but something I would like to see the staff improve on in recruiting, maybe just being more proactive in you know, recruiting these elite offensive guys. Um, you know, the staff I think is built to um, succeed offensively on the field, maybe not in year one and maybe in year one, we'll see, but definitely down the road. And um, they, they're going to need guys to do that. And, and I think that, you know, with the staff in, in place right now, they should be able to recruit at that level. Um, you know, with guys like Jeff Banks, Kyle Flood, 
uh, obviously Steve Sarkeesian um, on staff and Stan Drayton, of course, you know, I'd like to see, you know, the, the momentum that they've had at the running back position kind of spread out to the rest of the skill positions in the offensive line as well. So uh, we'll see how that develops over the course of the next couple of years as well. All right. Um, that's going to do it for the, uh, the mailbag. As always, get your questions in each and every week and we will get them answered. Um, and this is going to kind of be, I think this is going to be the new schedule. I'm saying this on the podcast without first having talked to the rest of our team and figuring out the scheduling works, but because of the way we kind of do the podcast, it, it makes more sense. Wow, Nick, what was that? <laughs> I have a driver safety course playing in the background. Don't ask and don't tell the Texas Department of Transportation. I got oh, a ticket Nick. last year on the way back from Lake Travis. <laughs> Nick's knocking out Nick's knocking out defensive driving while doing the podcast and it's it's uh, coming into play so you know um, you have to have uh, you have to have the video open for like a certain amount of time and I've already watched the video so I'm just letting it like play back but I still have to have it open for like another 20 minutes it's, it's stupid so. uh, well um, as I was saying I haven't talked to the rest of our team about the schedule but it kind of makes sense the way we do this to drop it during the season on a Thursday um, so we're going to start moving it that way um you mentioned earlier, Nick, that I, I did get the season started in California last week. So I'm going to talk a little about that. We'll talk a little bit about kind of the scrimmages you went to and um, and and where we where we're headed this weekend before we preview what what could be the next commitment for Texas. Um, I think that. Um, so going out to California, I was really excited to go see Malik Murphy in person. Um, you know, I, I I think that I should probably state here that. Um, I'm a big Malik Murphy fan, just personally. Like, I love the kid. He's a fantastic kid. Like, he's already, for me, like, one of the best I've ever covered just from a personality and, you know, easy to get along with and nice kid perspective. And so I try my best not to let that kind of color my perception because there is a lot of evaluation that needs to be done with Malik Murphy. There are a lot of questions to be answered. And so I really, every step of the way, I have to check myself and say, you're not showing a bias here because you like the kids so much. And, um, and so I really kind of wanted to go see him with that in mind. And um, I, I saw him play on Friday night. Nick, you watched the game back here on the stream. Um, and I thought there was some good and there was some bad. And um, overall, I think he took a step forward from where he was in the spring. You and I kind of talked about it, but the game looked a lot slower for him now than it did in the spring. There were times when spring where I felt like if the pocket crumbled around him and it crumbles around him quite a bit at Sarah, um, he will he would retreat. He would take a, a long sack or he would throw a, a bad ball into coverage and get it intercepted or something like that. Um, this time I, I felt him kind of staying calm, staying composed, making his read, stepping up in the pocket, climbing the pocket. Um, running with his legs, even if it's just to get a couple yards and, and keep moving forward or, you know, dumping the ball off. And so um, I really like that aspect of it. I thought that throwing the ball, um, he did, there weren't any just like air balls where I thought, like you, Nick, you went to a game last year where you were like, look, man, like there were times he did have guys open and just airmailed it. Um, I didn't see that this time. Uh, I, I thought everything was pretty much on the mark for the most part. He had two major mistakes in the game, and one was a throw where I think the outside receiver was supposed to be on a go, so he was supposed to take that safety with him, and the other guy was going to be on a stop on the inside, so 
Um, he, you know, he thought he was going to have that inside coverage. And, you know, he had told me that he was down a couple of receivers, so he didn't have his usual guy running that safety off. The safety wasn't quite at the depth that he wanted him to be, but he still thought he could kind of muscle it in there with his arm. And, and, you know, the guy picked it and it was, it was a bad read all the way. The other was, I mean, Malik really took, took responsibility for it after the game, but I just called it kind of an arm punt. It was in the waning seconds of the game. They were just trying to get on the board, get down the field, and he throws a deep post and double coverage that gets picked. And, um, you know, it is what it is. His his surrounding cast isn't great. Um, they've got a couple of guys, but overall, especially when you're down two or three guys, I mean, they lost, Nick, five or six dudes in that game. It was an injury fest. Um, when that happens on a team like that, you start losing guys who can make plays. So um, I think, you know, for me, thought he took a step forward still has a lot of work to do a lot of things to clean up but was really impressed kind of him stepping forward the other guy I, I saw up there was Roger Pleasant who was one of his receivers and he got hurt on the like the first drive so um you know he didn't I didn't get to see very much of him but he he, he can roll man he can he can absolutely go he's a 10 300 kid and a 20 like uh, 20.12 200 kids so he can he can absolutely run um, the day before that, I did go out to St. John Bosco. I talked to Ernest Green for a little bit. Um, and, you know, Ernest was another, like, really great kid to talk with in person. Super nice, super personable. And just said, you know, the relationship with Texas, with, with Kyle Flood and Steve Sarkeesian is strong. It was, it was strong at Bama, and it's a big reason he's considering Texas. I still think the gut feeling for me is that Ohio State is, is the big leader there. But I think Texas can maybe make a dent when they get him back on for an official visit this summer. Uh, or I'm sorry, in the fall. Um, he, he's coming back at some point, wants to take all of his officials this fall and then make a decision at the All-American Bowl. And so I think Texas has a chance there, and, and that's obviously a big one that's that's still out on the board for him. Anything you want to add, Nick? Uh, no, you know, I, I um, like you touched on, I, I was able to watch Malik Murphy's uh, game last Friday, and the game is slowing a lot a lot more down for him. And there was a certain play, it was on fourth down, um, I want to say it was like in the third quarter and uh, he was able to roll out and extend the play on his feet and make a touchdown throw. Um, and, you know, that was really something that I, uh, we didn't really see from him last year uh, in the spring last year, that was a play he would probably, you know, kind of retreat on or take a sack or th- uh, force a ball into, you know, coverage, but he kind of just let the play develop, um, you know, made, made some things happen on his feet and I think that really spoke to, you know, kind of how the game's slowing down for him, how he's, uh, you know, kind of transitioning from being that, you know, seven-on-seven seven guy where you only have four seconds to throw to realize you have a lot more time to throw it when you have pads on. So um, I think he's, uh, he's been, you know, really developing over the course of the, over the, course of the summer. And I was able to talk to his, his quarterback trainer, Danny Hernandez, at, at Elite 11 whenever I saw him uh, back in July. And, you know, that's, that's been the biggest thing they've been working on is, you know, footwork and, you know, finding, you know, how you can extend plays outside of the pocket and, you know, still being able to make accurate throws outside of the pocket. And um, also when, whenever you're not, um, you know, pressured, making the correct decision and making the right throw. And, you know, I think for the most part, um, aside from those two interceptions, I think he, he really, uh, you know, showed that on Friday night. And if you watch the game, man, the, I'm not one to harp on referees typically, but it, they had pretty much cost them the result in that game. There was many scoring plays that were, you know, reversed and not the favor of Sarah that I think if, you know, if they were called as, as, as they happened on the field, Sarah probably wins that game. And, 
you know, um, Malik probably doesn't have that last interception. So I know that was something he was frustrated about, but, you know, that's something you got to kind of live with moving forward. But, you know, I'm very curious to see how he develops over the course of the season now that he has a full season to, you know, start and get some games under his belt. So we'll see how he does this year. Yeah, there were three big plays in that game that I thought directly affected the scoreboard. There was one was a deep pass Malik threw a dime and the kid dove. I mean, he may have trapped it against the ground. I don't think it was especially clear, but the referee called it incomplete. Okay, so that one I can understand. That's a 50-50 play call anyways. The other one, and I didn't have a great view from where I was standing, but I had a good enough view and Nick kind of confirmed it after seeing it on the screen. They, he had rolled out. I think it was a play you were talking about. He rolled out, found the guy who made a run after the catch and was diving in and I think hit the pylon and was across the goal. And they called it a fumble before and a touchback. And I just – I think that, that that took a score off the board. They didn't um, – can't remember what happened on that drive. They just didn't convert or what. Um, and then late in the game when, when, when Sarah was really driving to take the lead, um, they, uh, there was a fumble where the guy was pretty clearly down and that was returned for a touchdown. So, you know, if any of those things saying that's a 14 point swing in a game, they lost by 11. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty poorly officiated game to say the least. I think one thing that I kind of left out that, um, I love, uh, I love about, um, Malik that I saw was uh, I asked you on text, like, hey, did they show this on TV? Because I I, I didn't get it on video either. But when he threw the touchdown in the – it was either late third or early fourth for them to go ahead, you know, he had been getting a lot of chirps from the Orange Lutheran sideline, from their players and their kids. And I saw him – you know, Malik's usually such a nice guy. You don't ever see him really talk much. He's he's so laid back. And I looked up, and he's, like, turned and kind of flexing on the entire – Lutheran sideline and at their student section and everything and seeing a little bit of, okay, he's got a little bit of a a burr up his, in his saddle. You know, he's got a little bit of a, he's got a little bit of badass to him. I I thought that was kind of cool to see from Um, Nick, you, uh, you had a couple scrimmages while I was gone. What, uh, what did you find there? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've made three stops here in the month of August, Um, two for scrimmages, one for a, for a school visit. I'll touch on each one. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I made the, the long, beautiful trip up to the Panhandle, uh, left at about 3.30 in the morning to catch uh, Brennan, Tom- uh, Brennan Thompson's first scrimmage of the season against Groover. Um, it was a 10 a.m. matchup uh, up there in Spearman. It's my first time up in Spearman. Um, you know, I love the people up there, love the hospitality. and was able to talk to uh, Brennan Thompson more about his recruitment <clears throat> after, the, uh, after the game. And, you know, this is ahead of this top three announcement. Um, but we, we talked about each of those three schools being Texas, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma State. And, uh, you know, I, I think all three schools really have a legit shot here. And, you know, I wouldn't count out Oklahoma State. I think some, some are. Um, you know, he really wants a, a program that is, A, close to home, and a program that is, uh, B, has great relationships with the coaches. Um, so he, he has all, both of those things with all three of those schools. So I think it's going to come down to, um, you know, uh, producing him as a wide receiver and, you know, finding, you know, be able to, you know, be a key part of the team. So, uh, you know, whatever team can show him that, uh, on his visit, um, here in the fall, I think has a pretty good chance of, uh, of winning out that recruitment. He'll take an, uh, unofficial visit to, Oklahoma State for uh, their opening game against Missouri State uh, in week one. Then he'll take his official visit to Texas for uh, their game against Rice on September 18th. I believe that is week 
three. And then uh, he'll take his unofficial visit to Texas A&M in October for uh, the game against Alabama. Um, and in talking to some sources in the past week or so, I think you could probably expect a commitment soon after that. Um, I think he's going to want to lock it down uh, ahead of the uh, December early signing period so he can just uh, sign without the hoopla in December and, uh, you know, move on into his track season next spring, you know, with no worries. So, um, you know, that's definitely going to be one to keep an eye on. But I think all three schools have a legit shot at landing him. Um, it's going to really just come down to on-field performance and, you know, who can uh, show him the, the best things on the field this year. Um, but, uh, you know, talking about his game, he's, uh, he's finally over uh, a sprained ankle that nagged him for most of the football season and all of the track season last year. Um, he was able to finally get fully healthy. And, you know, we kind of see that twitch from him now that I think that was the only thing I, I saw that was probably missing from him last year is, you know, being able to make those, you know, slight cuts and, uh, you know, make defenders miss, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the ground. So, um, but he was able to do that. Um, he had a long touchdown run on the first play scrimmage. Uh, and you can go back on my Twitter uh, back a couple of weeks. I'm Nick Harris 247 and check the video of that. It was pretty special. So uh, that's definitely going to be one we're going to be monitoring moving forward. I'll head back out to Spearman uh, at the beginning of October, actually, to uh, you know get an update on that recruitment. So um, that's one to watch. And then last week on, uh, on Thursday, um, I made the trip down to the Austin area to see uh, Del Valley. Uh, stopped by Del Valley High School right outside of uh, Austin. They have a new coaching staff, uh, new head coach, Bobby Acosta, who uh, was fantastic. And, and man, we had a great time visiting with each other for the two, three hours that we did. And uh, he's a new head coach over from uh, IMG. He was the head coach at IMG last year. So uh, he has, definitely has a, a great pedigree. He's come, he, he comes with NFL experience, college experience. And I really think he's going to be able to turn that program around and turn them into a perennial contender here before long. Uh, but they do have a 2023 target for Texas at wide receiver Braylon James, uh, four-star talent. And, um, you know, this is a guy that's really developed well over the course of the offseason. He's landed 31 of his 34 offers uh, since the conclusion of his sophomore year. So he's had a huge offseason, and he's ready to prove it on the field again this year. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier about how there's a, there were a couple of guys in 2023 that I feel like Texas got in on a little late. And this is one, uh, for sure, uh, Braylon James. I, He's a really good kid, really solid kid. He's not going to hold it against Texas, but it is still a fact that they came in a little bit later than, you know, some of the other schools. And, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like you can do that, especially with an Austin area kid. So we'll see how that impacts them moving forward. Um, he only took one in-state visit during the month of June. He went to TCU. Um, but uh, other than that, he took about eight out-of-state visits just to see some, some other schools. I believe Ohio State's the leader in that recruitment right now. So they're going to have a, you know, a tough task if they want to get back in the recruitment of that one. And then after Del Valley, I went down to uh, Lowling, Texas to see a uh, Lowling take on Shiner um, in a scrimmage. And uh, Shiner obviously has a four-star athlete, Dalton Brooks, um, leading the charge for them. And uh, was able to talk with him after, after the scrimmage about his recruitment. And, uh, you know, Texas and Texas A&M are really standing out uh, with him right now. I also wouldn't count out Houston just for the fact that he might want to play with his brother uh, at the next level. Uh, his brother being Doug Brooks. He's a 2022 uh, defensive tackle. Uh, he's been offered by Houston, UTSA, and uh, Army, and I believe another uh, uh, service academy. But, you know, I think Houston's in a really good spot with Doug Brooks right now. And if, if he ends up there, then, you know, I wouldn't completely count them out with Dalton Brooks. But uh, Texas and Texas A&M have been the two schools that have made the most noise in that recruitment. Um, and uh, we'll kind of see how they perform on the field and how that determines uh, Dalton Brooks' recruitment moving forward. But um, uh, a great kid comes from a great family. Uh, they actually have another brother on the team this year who is uh, 
in Dalton's class. So uh, excited to see uh, Carmelo Brooks uh, get on the field with him and, and see how the all three of them move together. But Shiner's going to be a fun team to watch this year. I think they go 16-0 and and win another state championship. So I'm definitely excited to see them. All right. Um, Nick, we're back. It's the season. Season kicks off uh, tomorrow as we're recording this. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's preview the week. It's going to be a big week for the both of us, uh, for me. So I'll start with Thursday, Thursday night. I am uh, going to see, uh, I was originally going to go see Geyer and, uh, and Hebron play. And, uh, like I said, I've got some personal stuff going on Friday morning. So Thursday night, I, I kind of wanted to be a little closer to home. I've got a buddy, um, on staff at the South Grand Prairie and with, with South Grand Prairie. And, um, you know, I've, I always try to see one of his games a year. They are playing on a Thursday night. So I'm going to go see South Grand Prairie and uh, in Prosper kick off the, the show at uh, the, the Gopher Bowl. Um, and, you know, there are there are some kids in that game. I've been pretty bullish on a couple of South Grand Prairie players, including Darius Carmouche and Dwight Nunu and uh, um, A.J. Newberry, their running back, who I love. Um, and then on the Prosper side, they've got some guys as well. Pretty, uh, you know, everybody knows I, I'm a big Tyler Bailey guy, their receiver. So um, I think for for me, you know, uh, that'll be a, a good way, a good fun way to start the season. And then Friday night, uh, it's the big one. It's uh, it's modern day in Duncanville. Going to see Owen Carey uh, in action. I'm going to see uh, obviously Amari uh, uh, Boer and some of the other guys on that Duncanville team. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Saturday, I think, Nick, you and I are going to be together on that one in the morning for uh, Longview and Denton Ryan at, uh, at Frisco IST, uh, not Frisco ISD, at the Star in Frisco in a non-Frisco ISD game. For anybody confused about my earlier rant and how I'm getting into this, it's uh, not credentialed by Frisco ISD. And then uh, later that night, I'm going out to see McKinney High and uh, as they play Spring, uh, Springdale, Arkansas, uh, I think it's Bear uh, High School. Um, and so I uh, love the staff at McKinney. They've got some good young talent um, that I'm excited to see. And so it'll be a, a really fun weekend. What do you have on tap, Nick? Yeah, tomorrow night, uh, on Thursday night, I'll be heading down to kind of near your area down in uh, Euless to see uh, Euless Trinity and Arlington Lamar at Pennington Field. Uh, Pennington Field's one of, uh, you know, one of the more um, ancient, I guess, uh, facilities in the state of Texas. But that's a game I haven't or that's a stadium I haven't covered a game at yet uh, in, my, uh, in my years covering Texas high school football. So I'll get there uh, for game one of the season. I'm going to see 2023 offensive line target Isaiah Robinson for Arlington Lamar uh, and also check out um, Oklahoma State commit uh, Ollie Gordon, uh, who's a running back commit, but he's going to be playing quarterback for Euless Trinity this year. So I'm really excited to see how they dice some things up and you know, get him involved in the offense. And then on Friday, I'm heading down to uh, heading down to the Austin area to check out Arlington Lamar, or I'm sorry, Arlington Martin and Lake Travis. Uh, Arlington Martin obviously has a 2022 linebacker commit, Travell Johnson. Not 100% sure if he'll be playing. He's been dealing with some shoulder injuries that we've been talking about on uh, Forms 24/7. Uh, we'll be sure to monitor that. And then Arlington Martin also has 2023 corner uh, JV and Taviano, who's a big-time Texas target. He, Texas will be in on until the very end for sure. And then on the uh, Lake Travis side, I'm excited to see Caleb Burton back fully healthy, the Ohio State commit at wide receiver. Um, you know, I, I've been hearing that uh, he's been getting ready for his senior year and definitely wants to prove it on the field. And uh, he's going to be linking up a 2023 quarterback, Bo Edmondson, who is, uh, you know, someone that I think Texas fans should definitely be keeping an eye on in case they miss out on Arch Manning. 
you know, I think that's a guy that they could possibly pivot to, um, you know, being in the, being in the Austin area. Uh, Bo Edmondson definitely uh, has, uh, you know, emerged last year as a, you know, a big time quarterback in the 23 class. And, you know, I think he's going to end up being a top three quarterback in the state uh, in the class by the time, uh, by the time it's all said and done. And then on uh, Saturday, like Mike said, I'll be joining him at Denton Ryan Longview at the star, checking out a 2023 five-star defensive lineman, Anthony Hill, uh, 2022 four-star Texas commit um, Austin Jordan, um, as well as uh, 2023 five-star wide receiver uh, Jalen Hale uh, for Longview. And also Longview has uh, one member of our 2024 rankings, Taylor Tatum at running back. So I'm excited to lay my eyes on him as well and uh, you know, check, check out those players. Uh, and then Saturday night, I will be uh, splitting from Mike. I'll be going to a very small private school game between Grapevine Faith and Colleyville Covenant. Uh, Colleyville Covenant has a, a four-star defensive lineman in the class of 2023 who I have not seen before, Eno Etta. Uh, he doesn't have an offer from Texas, but he does have some pretty high-quality offers. I'm excited to lay my eyes on him and you know see how he is in person. He had some huge numbers last year. I believe he led the state of Texas uh, and taps and sacks and tackles for loss. So uh, I'm excited to see some, some small private school domination and that'll end out my week. Shout out to my dog Winston for joining us there at the end and uh, making his voice heard on the podcast. Uh, I don't know if you could hear that, but he decided to start barking at the door for no reason. Um, all right, before we get out of here, uh, as we're recording this Wednesday, tomorrow, Thursday, uh, when you will hear this, it is the day um, of Aaron Bryant's decision. The South Haven Mississippi defensive tackle um, is a guy that Texas has been in on. Um, they've been looking for big bodies up front, and they don't come much bigger than Aaron Bryant. So um, we're going to fa- uh, f- uh, fast forward in time. It is decision day, and Aaron Bryant has picked the University of Texas. Uh, Nick, I-, I don't know how much you've kind of looked into what Bryant does um, but, you know, for me, what I see on film with him is just a really big body, really strong player, and a guy who can really make an impact at the point of attack playing at the nose or the zero technique. And I, and I think if you're looking for a position group that's really coming together nicely for Texas, I think it's that defensive line. Season. He plays on a pretty respectable team at South Haven, so a pretty respectable program that, you know, has been known for churning out guys and developing guys. So. Um, you know, I'm excited to see uh, a kid from Mississippi added to the class. Yep. And um, I don't know exactly how Zoom works because that whole part cut out because my Internet hit the bed. But uh, we will uh, we'll hope that part came through, Nick. If not, I think uh, I think you can uh, just kind of sum it up and say that uh, it's a big pickup for Texas if they get it. Um, all right. Uh, we appreciate you guys for listening. We appreciate you guys for coming back. Um, and, uh, I would say, uh, we will be, we will try to be, you know, pretty consistent on coming out every week now that we're back in the season. Nick, we going to have a pick them this year or what? You know, I thought about it just as we were coming on the podcast. We'll, we'll start it next week. How about that? Okay. We'll do pick them starting next week and we'll have to keep stats and have some sort of payoff at the end of the year. I'm with, that. uh, all right. Um, so we appreciate you guys for coming on. We appreciate you guys for listening for pitching in in the mailbag and, and really interacting with the show. Um, and uh, we're, we're glad to be back. We're glad for football season. We hope you guys are excited too. For Nick Harris, I'm Mike Roach. We will see you guys next week.
this Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.